Astrological Summer has arrived. arrived. And it's time for the Weather Jazz Podcast Science Camp. Grab your swim gear and let's dive in. No textbooks needed. Well, hey there, everybody, and welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything. Weather, science, earth science, astronomy, geology, any ology that you can think of, and periodically even off-topic episodes. And I've got one lined up for Friday, Open Line Friday, coming up. That's going to be interesting. More on that in just a bit. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Bernier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. And this is episode number 215 for Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. And for today's episode, we're going to head into the heavens, not necessarily the kind of heavens that we like talking about, i.e. meteorology, but rather we're talking about space and the final frontier just beyond our atmosphere and what we do to get information from the cosmos, cosmos meaning really anything out in the heavens well beyond our solar system, and how it relates to our atmosphere. And here's the interesting story. We've recently learned that new data from the cosmic ray balloons that have been launched from a particular location in east-central California, essentially right up against the uh, Nevada border. It shows that Solar Cycle 25 is actually having an impact and an effect on the Earth's atmosphere in the sense that radiation levels in the air above our heads is decreasing now that the sun is coming alive. We recently had a very, very low solar minimum. And whenever that happens, the sun's magnetic field really weakens to the point where cosmic radiation, now this is not radiation that comes from the sun, but rather it's radiation, x-rays, gamma rays, that come in from all different parts of the cosmos, well outside of our solar system. So you're probably asking, do we really see that much gamma radiation or X-ray radiation from other parts of our universe? And the answer is, well, kind of yes, but it takes special instrumentation in order to pick that up. And that's where the balloon launches come in. I have placed on the show notes, episode number 215, a couple of interesting graphs that show that the cosmic radiation, which has to be measured indirectly, I'll get more into that in just a second, but the cosmic radiation, the gamma rays, the X-rays from deep space really peaked at the solar minimum. Now, those cosmic rays that come from deep space mostly come from 
old supernova explosions that we can no longer see and that reaches the inner solar system and it really has to fight its way through the sun's protective magnetic field. That magnetic field is strongest when the sun is very active with a lot of sunspots. Well, we just got through a sunspot minimum and that means that more cosmic radiation can actually fight its way through the solar winds and make it to Earth. Now, granted, there's not a whole lot to measure, but there is some, and it has to be measured indirectly. What the folks do that would like to measure that amount of energy, they actually launch balloons, and they have to measure it indirectly. And here's what essentially goes on. The data points in the graph that you see on the show notes, episode number 215, correspond to the peak of what is known as the Regner-Fotzer Maximum, which lies at about 67,000 feet above the Earth's surface, in this case, California. They release balloons up into the atmosphere so that they reach this level at about 67,000 feet. And when these weak cosmic rays actually crash into the Earth's atmosphere, they produce a spray of secondary particles that is the most intense at the entrance to the stratosphere, 67,000 feet. And physicists back in the 1930s actually discovered this using balloons, and that's what they are measuring today. They're measuring the secondary particles, which are much more voluminous than the initial cosmic ray that comes in and crashes into the Earth's uh, atmosphere. Those are few and far between, so you're actually going to be uh, essentially getting much more of a sense of how many of those X-rays and gamma rays are hitting the Earth's atmosphere when you measure the secondary spray, which is going to be a little more voluminous. It's like one gamma ray comes in, hits uh, the stratosphere, hits some of the atmospheric particles, and it sets off a spray of 20 or 50 other particles instead of trying to measure that one gamma ray Measuring 25 or 50 of the secondary sprays gives you a much better chance of actually understanding how many of those gamma rays and X-rays from the cosmos is affecting the upper atmosphere at about 67,000 feet. So there you have it on one of the graphs. Again, show notes, episode 215 on weatherjazz.com. You're going to see the dose rate of the cosmic radiation at various altitudes. So you're going to see 25,000 feet for some aircraft. Of course, jet airliners fly at an average of anywhere between 33 and 41,000 feet. So they put 40,000 feet as a rough uh, guesstimate. And then the balloons, which make it all the way up to 67,000 feet, will have the highest uh, doses of cosmic radiation. And from that point, uh, going much higher, you're not going to see a huge increase. That uh, increase will begin to slow down uh, because uh, that's where the cosmic radiation begins to get 
broken down before it reaches the Earth's surface. Do we see cosmic radiation here at the Earth's surface? And the answer is yes, but boy, oh boy, is it uh, much more subdued because the way the atmosphere was designed, uh, it is designed to filter out a lot of those harmful cosmic rays. And uh, by the time uh, we see them here on Earth, it is really, really, really few and far between. So when you uh, go up to the 25,000 foot level, the level of cosmic radiation jumps up by about tenfold. When you go to 40,000 feet, when you're in a plane, you get about 40 times the level of cosmic radiation. Again, granted, the level is really, really low, uh, but when you get to 67,000 feet, that level jumps up to about 80 to 90 times what we see here at the Earth's surface. And naturally, when you go up to the International Space Station, while the increase begins to slow down above 67,000 feet, it's still a little bit more than what you would get at the 67,000 foot range with those balloons. So there you have it. Go check out the graphs. Very, very interesting. And not to worry, when you fly a plane, there isn't a huge danger of cosmic radiation causing problems to humans. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be flying in the International Space Station. Uh, there would be uh, certainly far greater problems uh, if that were the case. The level of cosmic radiation from supernova that are coming in from various parts of the universe here is so extremely low, yet it is measurable uh, that it is not the kind of thing with, that we are overly concerned about, but certainly is very interesting. Interesting enough to measure, and they've figured out a way to do that by looking at the spray that happens as these cosmic particles hit the upper atmosphere, which is really where they begin to get filtered out of the Earth's atmosphere before they reach and if you'd like to know more information about that, uh, there's a great article, especially from yesterday, on spaceweather.com. And for those of you that are aware of spaceweather.com, you can actually go in and select the archive date. In this case, it would be July 13th, yesterday, that the full article occurred if you want to get the full explanation of the cosmic rays and how it's measured and you'll even see pictures of the response team. Incidentally, this is another interesting side note. When they um, essentially launched these balloons up into the upper atmosphere, because the cosmic rays are indirectly measured when they try to look at the spray, secondary spray, they have to retrieve those balloons. There's no way to do it remotely. They actually have to take uh, the sample that they have back to the lab and count the spray. However, they do that, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but they have to retrieve the balloon. They can't do it remotely from a radio signal. So what happens 
is the balloon pops at 67,000 feet after spending some time up there. And then they send uh, a number of people out looking for the balloon. The balloon actually has a GPS attached to it. It's almost like an EPIRB where you are uh, sending a signal and you're looking for it. And it tells you it's in this direction or that direction and the distance. And a lot of these students really go to great lengths to retrieve these balloons because that's where the sample is. So far, they haven't lost a single one from what I understand, that they've been doing this for a number of years. They're always able to get the balloon back. Chances are, because from where the balloon is launched there in East Central California, gets drifted or pulled in the westerly winds and probably into the desert areas of Nevada most of the time. So they're easy to find. But every once in a while, the upper level winds carry these balloons in some really, really tough places. And they have achieved retrieved rather every single one of these balloons again from what i understand and that is a feat big time well i hope you enjoyed today's episode help me to spread the word about this podcast inside your sphere of influence email social media word of mouth any way you can and i am working on a special very special open line Friday edition of the podcast. For those of you in Northeast Ohio, you can listen tomorrow morning at 8.30. That's Thursday morning, 8.30 on WKJA Radio 91.9 FM with Mark Zimmerman in the morning, along with Gabriel Speaks. Uh, That's the morning show team. And I'm going to join them to talk about Open Line Friday and the special guest that I have going on. I talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the week. I'll talk more about it on WKJA tomorrow morning. And just in case you are listening from another part of the USA or the world for that matter, you can listen to me online. Just go to heartfeltradio.org and click on the Listen Live tab. Again, I'm going to be on the radio at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Don't forget to figure out where that is according to or what what kind of compensations you've got to make with uh, where that is. But uh, we're in Eastern Daylight Time, so you may have to add some time or subtract some time based on where you are. 8.30 a.m. tomorrow morning, Eastern Daylight Time, heartfeltradio.org. I'll talk more about Open Line Friday and the guest I have coming up. Otherwise, we'll just catch you right here on Friday for that segment. Well, if you have a question or a topic suggestion, I welcome your input. You can easily reach me at weatherjazz at yahoo.com. And also now via voicemail at the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line, 234-525-5888. And you can always get that information at the very top of weatherjazz.com. Just click on the Contacts tab and all that information will come up. I'm excited about Friday. We will catch you in a couple of days with a really cool segment and a great interview that I did over the weekend right here on Weather Jazz. Weather and science across the globe.